The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest of the Society of St. Pius V, and he also serves as the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. Yourself? Just the same, Father. Great Good to, to see you. Yes. Always. You too. Father, uh, prayer request tonight? Absolutely, Tom. We have more prayer requests than uh, we can possibly name. But um, we don't have to, fortunately, because our Blessed Mother is aware of all of them. And I do ask your particular prayers for Mr. Riley, Paul Riley, and his family, especially his, his noble wife, Amy. Please keep them all in your prayers. Pray for Paul's recovery. Uh, pray for Dr. Hofrichter also in his, in his recovery, Dr. David Hofrichter, valiant soul. And uh, also, of course, for Joseph Percher and, uh, and uh, for Monica Countit, Donna King. Uh, for uh, Bernie Kunkel and Luke Kunkel. Luke's a young man who suffered a severe reaction, and it's uh, affected him very, very profoundly. Uh, a big guy, athlete, something's uh, hurt him a lot, so please pray for him and his family. And um, there are so many others, again, to mention uh, Tom Wright, and I ask you to just continue your prayers for them all. I also got word of uh, Jennifer, a, a young lady who is the nephew, the niece, I'm sorry, the niece of one of our parishioners here, and um, cousin of, of others, uh, of course, and, and she died suddenly at a young age. And, uh, you're asked to pray for her. I, I ask you to please keep her family in your prayers, especially pray for her young soul, too. Mm -hmm. okay. And there, again, uh, always, always pray for our country. Our country is in dire straits and desperately to prayers. So. Please be sure and pray, especially the rosary, for our country, for our families, for ourselves. We need the prayers. Right. We had graduation recently at the school, and I was very happy to see uh, the success of the young, young folks. We were sorry to see them leave the halls of the school, but we want them to come back uh, even more successful and able to contribute to the overall good. And, I, I think this group will, will do that, Tom. I think they'll do us proudly, as whatever, whatever the expression is, and uh, will actually represent their faith very well. Good. Please pray for them as well, yeah. our graduates. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Father. Uh, Father, we celebrated the Feast of uh, Pentecost Sunday yesterday, um, a very great feast day of, of the Church, and uh, you uh, dedicated part of your sermon uh, yesterday, Father, here at Immaculate Conception to, um, as you mentioned, our, our country, some of the uh, evils that are besetting our, our country, and in particular, um, I guess, some of the uh, retail giants of the, uh, of the country who are, um, as you said, just promoting and marketing um, a lot of perversions, uh, the LGBT perversion specifically, um, directly to our children and um, mentioned uh, just a, a bit of concerns um, because, because of all of that. But, um, Father, any, any other further comments on that, um, on that thought tonight? Well, there will always be more comments about that. It's an ongoing controversy, Tom, but it shouldn't be. Uh, it shouldn't be even a, a controversy. It's just insanity that this is happening. But it's a, it's a criminal insanity, and it's being forced. Um, and it's true, I did make those comments, not during the um, uh, sermon of the, f s the first Mass at 7 o'clock in the morning at Immaculate Conception, but during the sermon of the second Mass, the 9 a.m. Mass. So those who would turn, tune in to what Catholics believe and listen to the sermon of the first, that is the 7 a.m. Mass, would not hear those comments. Only those who were at the second Mass or who tuned in for the, the sermon at the 9 a.m. Mass uh, would, would hear those comments. 
And I'm very reluctant to talk about such things from the pulpit. For example, I didn't mention the uh, litigate, whatever they call it, the L-G-B-T-Q-M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. I didn't mention any of that uh, by name from the pulpit. I, I consider that to be very um, degrading, you know. Uh, but also, um, you know, there are little ears present and I don't want to scandalize them either. But um, in spite of the fact that I'm reluctant to, to talk about such things to the pulpit, uh, I was moved to do so by the advice of a patriarch, a patriarch at Immaculate Conception, who uh, I, I have a high regard for his wisdom. And um, um, after the men's meeting last Thursday, I made some comments about how we have to oppose this evil, which has already explicitly stated we are coming for your children. And uh, after the meeting was finished, uh, and I had finished with those comments, this gentleman came up and said, you need to say that from the pulpit. You really need to say that from the pulpit. And I objected. I said, well, I'm concerned about the young, innocent ears out there. He said, no, you need to say that from the pulpit. People need to hear that. So at the second Mass on Sunday, I determined, well, you know, I'll yield to that, uh, they call the superior wisdom. And uh, did actually comment on this. You were there. No, you weren't there. You were at the 7 a.m. Oh, that's fine. So you, you dodged the, uh, <laughs> you dodged that. But um, now the, the, the whole point was that uh, uh, we have a, a movement going on here in America, uh, which is the transgenderism movement now, which has taken on a lot of steam because it is being... Uh, fanned by the flames are being fanned by government, education, uh, uh, corporate powers, retail giants, as you mentioned. They're all pushing this madly on the children. And as you know, the San Francisco Gay Chorus already announced a few years ago, we are coming for your children. We are coming to take your children. And um, even that, that video of the uh, San Francisco so-called gay chorus uh, d evidently did not awaken the uh, the parents of America to the Im impending danger because they're very serious. They mean that. They mean very much. They are coming for our children. Um, even this uh, Karine uh, Jean-Pierre, who is Biden's chosen press secretary, <clears throat> she's a homosexual. And um, she was meeting recently with uh, a group. In fact, I have something about that here. She was meeting with a homosexual group here. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre declared this weekend that the children of America belong to all of us. And who is all of us? All of us is the 34th annual GLAAD, G-L-A-A-D, Media Awards. That's the homosexual awards group there. And uh, she says, the children of America belong to all of us. And she's talking about then transitioning children, okay? And um, this is monstrous, but this is the mentality. They cannot have their own children. They want yours. They're coming for yours. And they want to, they're going to traffic them. They are going to feast on them. Um, they're going to raise them in their ideology or their fetish, which is what it really is. A, um, and uh, it's a pathological fetish. Uh, but they are militant. They are militant about it. And so we've seen this now, the, these, the so-called merchandise of children's clothing, being uh, marketed in Target, very, very prominently in Target, so much so that it actually provoked a backlash. Yes, there were actually people who spoke up about it. And uh, Target was uh, put on the defensive. And they actually took this, this combination uh, transgender uh, atroc atrocity, this, this children's line of clothing, designed by a Satanist, an avowed Satanist. They took it and they put it in the back of the store to make it not so prominent. 
And then, lo and behold, the transgenders went on the attack because Target had made that concession to the decent people of America, right? Uh, because Target had done that, at least taken this satanic transgender wear that they were pushing in the face of everybody coming into their stores, including the children, and put it in the back of their stores, the transgender people who are extremely brazen and, and violent people. But of course, how could they be otherwise? There's a pathology associated with this. There's a mental, a psychological pathology associated with this. And so they immediately began threatening. Uh, began threatening the target stores, even threatening to burn them down, threatening to blow them up. Um, but the, also a, a, an educational association, supposedly representing teachers, uh, threatened Target that if you remove this merchandise from the prominence in your store, you'll be responsible for the deaths of these uh, gender dysphoria children because 40% of them uh, have thoughts of doing themselves in. And so you will precipitate that and be responsible for like this wave of, of uh, these children killing themselves. It doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. It's not rational. It's not meant to be. Uh, it's not, it has nothing to do with reality or truth. It, it's all about uh, the hammer and the force. And so, so LGBTQ uh, actually has backed off on that. In fact, I have to be careful here because I'm actually mixing up a couple of things. Uh, one of them, I'm mixing up uh, the Target displays with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Okay, the Los Angeles Dodgers actually heard from uh, an educational association, and the Los Angeles Dodgers were hearing that they might be responsible for the death of all these children because they had arranged and announced that um, this group of uh, what do you call it? the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, these transvestite men <coughs> dressing up as, of course, traditional nuns wearing traditional habits, because there's no really modern Novus Ordo habit to wear that identifies you as a nun. Um, um, I mean, modern so-called religious sisters dressing in street dress, dress, they're so frumpy. I mean, you could, you could actually tell that somebody is a nun just by the, the frumpiness of the dress they've been. But, but they, didn't, they didn't even want that. They wanted to wear the traditional dress. Whenever they want to mock religion, they always have them in traditional uh, dress as a priest or a sister. Because the modern just doesn't work. There's no way to mock that. There's no way to make, uh, to, to, uh, make a caricature of the modern way. It is a caricature in itself. So these guys go around with their beards and so on, dressed as in these habits of, of traditional nuns. And they... Um, actually indulge in all kinds of lascivious and, and, uh, and uh, immoral behavior. And um, so the Dodgers actually invited them to celebrate them, to honor and award them. And the word got out that, um, that among the people who had any faith, hope, charity, any, uh, any real faith or love for our Lord, uh, or at least common decency, <laughs> at least that, came out and uh, really let the Dodgers at organization know that uh, they were uh, appalled at this decision and they opposed it. And there would be consequences, um, at least in the box office there. Um, and so the Dodgers uh, then retracted the, the invitation. They rescinded the invitation and said that these, these uh, transvestites would not be invited and honored and then the transvestites themselves came back at the Dodgers organization, threatened them, and the uh, Educational Association, I think it was the California Educational Association, if I'm not mistaken, um, actually came out and uh, told the Dodgers they would be responsible for the deaths of many children because they had withdrawn the offer to award these people uh, for their mockery of the Catholic faith and mockery of our Lord. So then the Dodgers changed their mind again. Then the Dodgers re-invited 
these people to come and to be a part. But they also introduced today to celebrate faith and family. And I'm, I, I, hope, I hope that nobody falls for this, um, that, that nobody falls for this, this tactic or this ploy. Uh, I hope nobody allows himself to be manipulated by this. Option. But it's not just the Dodgers and it's not just Target. Now we find Walmart is marketing this transgender children's clothing. Kohl's is also uh, marketing this, this uh, transgender children's clothing. And um, what's behind it is that uh, it's corporate, actually. You see, Vanguard, BlackRock, um, the, 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 the major corporations that actually are the corporations that own the other corporations that own the other corporations. Um, and there's so much power concentrated in the hands of a few people. And so many of them themselves are perverts that they're actually using their power to try to pervert the entire world. They're, this is their life. I mean, this, this, this is what they dream about. This is what they eat, sleep, and, uh, and this is what they care about. This perversion defines who they are as far as they're concerned. It is a very important part of the World Economic Forum program and their new world order. Um, the uh, Harari and the rest of his crowd, they're all into this. And it has a practical reason for them. It has a practical reason that it enables them to have a certain control over human fertility and the beginning of children the, uh, the population, they want, they want to be able to have a certain control over the population and the breeding of the human being. <clears throat> and this is one way they're getting it. They're using homosexuality and all of its manifestations as a tool to grant them control to depopulate the earth. But it's not just a practical tool. It's an ideological tool with them uh, because it is there great fetish. It, it, is, it is, you might call it, in a sense, their idol, their god, small g here. Um, and uh, they cannot rest until everyone uh, submits, agrees, approves, applauds, all of this. Um, this is what is coming down the line of the corporate chain of command to our managers, locally uh, and to those who you know direct the the stores over certain areas uh they're getting the word that they have to do this if they won't do it they'll find someone who will um so they don't the story is they don't care how much money they lose um because it's only temporary they lose a billion 10 billion 11 billion dollars in a day or a week or a month it doesn't matter. Why? Because the parent corporations going, you know, back multiple, up multiple levels, they have hundreds and hundreds of billions, billions and billions of dollars behind them. And it's a drop in the bucket for them. And they also realize that uh, this cabal of, of fetishists are so literally hellbent on dominating uh, that... Uh, it, it, they really don't care that that they're, they're going to be losing retail sales. Um, they've got us. They think where, where they where they want us, and that is that we'll have nowhere to go. We'll have nowhere to shop, and they're ultimately going to recoup whatever losses they have anyway. It's just a matter of time before they get it all anyway. Um, their whole objective for twenty thirty, as you know, is that. We will own nothing. Um, whatever we want, need, or want, we'll have to get from them. And they'll have to concede it to us. Um, but we'll be totally dependent upon them, ultimately. So, you know, losing uh, so many billions of dollars of sales of Bud Light beer, or Target, you know, even the Target investors, right? the, the stock value of the stock goes down. None of that matters today because they say that in the course of time, we're going to get it all anyway. Um, so those who are in the uh, 
position of having to make decisions at the local level find themselves uh, really under the gun. Um, I'm sure many of them are in that position because they agree with the ideology. But there are those who don't, no doubt, and they will be hard-pressed then to make the right decision to say we will not support this in any way. But what I said during the sermon time was that we have to oppose it in every way. We have to oppose this in every way we possibly can. Because they've, they've said out loud, in, in the exact words, we are coming for your children. And I would recommend we not wait until they're on the doorstep or hovering over the child's crib to try to stop them. I'd recommend that we take whatever steps we can First of all, starting to let, by letting them know, you are not taking my children. I will not let you, and I will, I will oppose you in every way I can. And uh, then we'd, we'd better start figuring out what that is. Starting with prayer and being strong ourselves in our faith is very obvious. That's where we all need to start. But uh, it can't stay there. It can't stop there. That's the beginning. We have to formulate practical plans on how we are going to protect our children from being transgendered, transformed, uh, transmuted into into what? Into into alien beings, you know, um, that are hardly recognizable as human. That, that's well, transhuman. That's where they want to go. They want to transhumanize your children. It's a very evil thing. What could some of those practical steps look like, Father? <laughs> well, I mean, in these, uh, the, the more brazen they are, the more people like you and I are supposed to cower before them. The more they, they are supported by government, the more you and I are supposed to be terrified by government powers that protect and support and uh, and uh, promote all of these things, you know. I mean, the American military is going this way now. The FBI seems very much uh, given to protecting and promoting this whole ideology. And we're supposed to be afraid of this and, and just let it happen without nary, with nary a whimper. We have these pride parades going through our cities <coughs> and uh, hardly a, a voice is raised. If there is a voice raised, it's soon squelched or ignored by the media, certainly. So we have thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of those marching right through our cities uh, in all of their regalia or perhaps without anything. Oh, it's just completely um, uh, given, uh, given to licentiousness and, uh, and uh, you know, public indecency. And nothing is said. The laws are not enforced by the, by, the, by the law enforcement. Maybe they feel helpless. Maybe they feel they have, they have no support from their higher-ups. Um, uh, if they have any will to, to uh, enforce the laws, they certainly get no, get no incentive to do so. So um, we need to actually respond to this. Now, you know, people might say, well, I do. I mean, I get angry about it. I'm disgusted by it. Anger is not a response, it's a reaction. Uh, disgust is not a response, it's a reaction. Even the people telling the jokes about these, these other people, the laughing is not a response, it, it's just a reaction. And very unhelpful. But a, re a response from us would be motivated by faith, hope, and charity. That's a response. Now. And the response would be, well, for one thing, to march down that same route but to do it for the sake of making reparation to Almighty God or the blasphemy that goes on there. And the direct challenge, I mean, we're talking about the type of sin that cries to heaven for vengeance from God. And, uh, and where are we? Are we busy making reparation? Well, we, we go down to the, the city, uh, the, the, the courthouse, Hamilton County Courthouse. We pray the rosary each month. That's a good start. But as someone, uh, a very uh, fine gentleman in town, just recently said, this happens year after year, 
and there's no response to it, really. We need to begin to give a response. Uh, first of all, to make reparation to Almighty God for this insult. We have to also demonstrate that we're not intimidated and we're not afraid of them. Because they're bullies. And as soon as you show weakness and you show cowardice, they will annihilate you and completely dominate you. But as, like any bullies, when you show that you're not afraid of them, they cannot intimidate you. Immediately they begin to withdraw. And it puts them on, on notice. You cannot get away with anything just because you feel like it. Uh, and uh, we need to send that message. The primary message we need to send, though, is that we're asking God to have mercy. We're begging God's mercy. For ourselves? Yes, for ourselves. For our city, of course. But we're also imploring God's mercy for them. We're imploring God's mercy for those very people who in June are strutting down that street and flaunting their their perversion. And we need to, to actually implore God's mercy for them too. Now they may show up when we do. I mean, if we, if we actually arrange to have those streets um, basically put aside for our use for that purpose of making a, a procession of reparation to God, uh, they may come out in force to, uh, to assault us, to accost us, to who knows what. I mean, the, the, the vile language they use, it's all a symptom of the, of the fundamental perversion that is, that is attacking them like a cancer. All of that, everything, uh, you know, all of the, all of the eagle, ugliness and the filth and the blasphemy and the profanity that just pours out of them comes out of the, the hearts, as the Lord says. And this is what is in their hearts. But again, you know, if we're there to make reparation, then that kind of treatment is not going to deter us because it's just another avenue for us, another means for us to make reparation to God, for them. And in a sense, we'd be, again, doing for them what our Lord has done for all of us and offering up for us the very the very suffering that we cause him by our sins. So I, I think our Lord is calling upon us to do that right now. They may think that, okay, we're out there to confront them. And actually, we're not out there to confront them. We're out there to, to speak to God and to um, uh, apologize to Almighty God and to implore his mercy. Yes, for them too. And uh, that's not, you know, intended to be a direct confrontation as though we're going to have a, a rumble with them. We have no intention of that. We don't want that. Um, we fear that that they that they will see it as that, but uh, that's not our point at all. Our point is to seek the mercy of God. And I think we should be doing that everywhere. I think everywhere in all the cities, wherever there's one of these pride, pride parades, as it's called, um, there should be, within a matter of a month or two or whatever it takes, um, you know, a, a procession uh, imploring the mercy of God and his forgiveness uh, and his deliverance from this. So that's one thing we can't do. Mm. Uh, as I've said from the pulpit on Sunday time, if we can't stand up and oppose this and make it clear to them those who are saying, like this Karine Jean-Pierre, that these are our children. These are our, your children are our children. Um, if we can't say, no, they're not. They're not your children. And you can't have them. Then we deserve everything we get. We deserve everything we're going to get. And it's not going to be pretty. Then we don't even deserve the right to complain about it. If we, if we don't have the gumption or the faith, or the hope, or the charity, to stand up and oppose this, then, well, but what's left for us? What, what is there left of us, even? Um, shame is not, uh, is not a strong enough word. I know people who, are, who take the anti, 
uh, homosexual gay lifestyle approach, the anti-abortion approach, the abortionists and the homosexuals, the LTBPs, whatever, they're shouting shame, shame, shame. Actually, it's just the opposite. We should be ashamed if we don't do that. Very ashamed. Um, so we, it needs to be done. We have to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to do it for the children. We have to let it make know that they cannot take our children. We're not going to give them up. We're not going to surrender them. What would you say to those who are concerned about the, um, the reaction from these types of people? The, the type of reaction that might provoke from them? I would say this is what you get, you know. Um, this is what you get when the devil is mad at you. You know, he come, he 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 is he is, is a very bad adversary in the sense that he he's full of spite and hate, and this is how he reacts. I mean, an exorcist during an exorcism no knows the malice of Satan. He's, he's confronted by it. Um, so an exorcist once was asked, what's the worst thing you, you have to deal with in an exorcism? You know, they're thinking, well, head spinning around, right? Bodies flying through the air and all that. And he said, no, 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 none of that, none of that. He said, no, what is really the, the most horrible thing about an exorcism is that you, you realize that you are coming face to face with an entity that actually hates, hates you, hates you with a complete malicious hatred, hates you, wants to annihilate you. And you look into the faces of those uh, abortionists and uh, transsexuals and all the rest, that's what you see. Um, you know, they try to be all this uh, swishy, even to the point of offending women. They say, women, real women don't act like that. That's a man trying to act like a woman according to a man's way of thinking a woman acts. But women don't act like that. A lot of women are offended by these guys, these effeminate men, who uh, almost are making a mockery of women and, and, and a, just a, a caricature of women. Like this guy who was on the, they put on the beer, their beer cans, right? Uh, there are a lot of women who look at this and think, this is disgraceful, this is disgusting. That, that, this isn't womanhood. Who is the, what is this creature trying to be here? Certainly not a woman. If this is how certain men think women are, then there's something wrong with them. Um, even women see that. Uh, and they're offended by it. But uh, in any case, um, in an exorcism, you see that malice of Satan. You see that same malice on the face of the abortionists, uh, the face of the uh, transgenderites, and all the rest. We're pushing all of this, that if you oppose them, they come at you basically with the malice of Satan himself. Uh, our Lord knew that very well. He confronted that all the time, right? And um, our Lord, uh, you know, he wants us to oppose Satan. He, he still, still sent out his apostles on Ascension Thursday to confront this. He inspired them on Pentecost Sunday and filled them with a zeal to do exactly that. And if we are going to call ourselves Catholics today, we better be ready to do that. Otherwise, we're frauds. You know? But uh, so be it. I mean, we have to confront this, uh, confront this evil. Mm -hmm. And the only way to confront it is with faith and the hope that faith inspires and the charity that faith and hope beget, as it were. Uh, it has to be motivated ultimately by love, love for God and love for souls. Otherwise, it's doomed to failure. So anyway, that, that's just one idea uh, of what can be done. But of course, I mean, this it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, uh, that we've got to get our children away from these people. If they're in the government schools, they're being indoctrinated. At least you have to, you have to expect that they will be. They're targeted for indoctrination in the government schools. Uh, teachers who will not indoctrinate the children are targeted also in the, in the public schools now, very often, uh, because they have woke principals uh, and uh, vice principals and so on, and school boards and so on, uh, full of revolutionaries. Um, so you've got to get your children away from them to begin with. Don't put your children in their power. Um, these Satan, these after-school Satan clubs, 
They're all expression, expression of the same thing. The Satanists are all about this. Why? Because it's a, it's a rebellion against Almighty God, the Creator. And so the Satanists are, are all part of it. They're all mixed in it together. So any, in any case, uh, Tom, um, enough said. If anybody wants to uh, go online and check out the second sermon on Sunday, that's the 9 o'clock Mass sermon, they're welcome to do so. Okay. But we're going to be uh, exploring these, these things going forward. Very good. Okay, well, uh, one other thing, maybe, Father, if we could quickly, um, no, not, a, not a very quick subject, but um, one of our uh, very faithful viewers wanted to know your thoughts on the 1,000 years that, that, that were mentioned in the Apocalypse 20. Um, he says, you know, this is one of the most, uh, maybe one of the most difficult things to understand in Scripture, I think is the way he, he phrased it. But um, if one reads Apocalypse chapter 20, there is this um, period of 1,000 years that's, that's mentioned several times. Um, it's mentioned that, uh, that Satan is bound for, for 1,000 years, but also um, that the, uh, something to the effect of the, the just reigning with Christ for, for a certain period of time. Um, so any thoughts, Father, or how, how could one discover the correct um, meaning of this, this thousand years that's mentioned in Apocalypse 20? Well, there, there, is, there are various interpretations of that. Uh, uh, well, you would expect that, right? And uh, there are those who uh, actually have adopted a, an error called millenarianism. Uh, it is written up in the Catholic Encyclopedia. And it is, it is an error as they propose it. Because there are those who interpret these words in sacred scripture to mean that Christ will come to earth and that the saints uh, will actually reign with Christ here on earth for a thousand years before the general resurrection. <clears throat> and that is, uh, that is a heresy. Okay? Um, the church has condemned that teaching. Now, there are other variations on this that are not necessarily heresies, okay? Uh, that do not have our Lord returning, like on the, as is depicted, you know, in St. Matthew chapter 25 and St. Luke chapter 21, uh, as though our Lord's second coming would take place and then he would reign for a thousand years on earth with the saints before the general resurrection occurs. No, there are those who say that that's not, that's not, what this means. Um, one of those who interpreted this is a venerable Bartholomew Holzhauser, Holzhauser, H-O-L-Z-H-A-U-S-E-R, Holzhauser. And uh, this venerable Bartholomew Holzhauser was the founder of the Bartholomites, right? Uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, he was uh, born in 1613 in Augsburg, Germany, and he was ordained a priest in, 1930, in 1639, 1639, the Diocese of Salzburg. I'm reading some information here. And he uh, actually saw in the Apocalypse, chapter 2, that the seven candlesticks, the seven stars, represented seven ages of the Church. Now, this is not unique to him. Uh, it's very common that the interpreters of the book of the Apocalypse now call the book of Revelation, although all books of the Bible are books of Revelation. Um, the Catholic Church refers it by the, by the Greek name Apocalypse, the hidden things of God. Um, the, uh, they interpret the Apocalypse to indicate the history of the church that lies ahead, the seven candlesticks, the seven churches, the seven stars, Yes, representing the various different different periods of the church's life, okay? And uh, this Bartholomew Holzhauser was one of those who commented on the, uh, the, the book of the Apocalypse. In fact, he wrote a work dedicated to precisely that, and I'm sure, I'm sure it's still available. Um, it is probably the most important of his works, frankly. Um, if you can get it, I think it's worth reading, certainly. But he, he posited um, that he, he was basically in the fifth age, and that we would, right now, still be in the fifth age of the Church. He said it would be an age of turmoil. He said that the fifth age of the Church, 
began with the Protestant Revolution. It, that's what began this fifth age. And it would be an age, an extended age of loss, an age of heresy, an age even of apostasy. Um, he, uh, he gave this what he called a commentary on the apocalypse of St. John. And he not only said that the Protestant Revolution began the age, he even forecast the Enlightenment, where the rise of naturalism and rationalism would take hold. And he said, as a result of those, no principle at all, however holy, authentic, ancient, and certain it may be, will remain free from censure, criticism, false interpretation, modification, and delimitation by man. In other words, he was foretelling, he was foretelling an age when everything would be called into question, every truth would be contradicted and mocked, right? And everything holy would be, would be ridiculed. So uh, he interpreted the book of the Apocalypse as though the seven stars and the seven candlesticks seen by John, St. John the Evangelist signify the seven periods of the church's history. And he says, we come to the fifth period in which he himself lived. He said, a central figure of this apocalyptic commentary concerns a strong ruler and a holy pope. And um, Venerable Holzhauser said that the strong ruler and the holy pope would come at the end of the, of the fifth period and again form the impetus for the passing into the sixth period. As horrible as the fifth period would be, a fifth period in which we still find ourselves, he said the sixth period would be glorious, where the church would triumph. But for, for us to get from the fifth period of heresy and apostasy and all the rest into the sixth period of triumph and glory, which we would now refer to as the reign of Mary, he says uh, all of these calamities would have to happen to the church, including infiltration and betrayal from within, and there would have to be a great chastisement. There had to be a great chastisement from God. Perhaps what they refer to as the three days of darkness are a part of that great chastisement. I don't know. But it would make sense if it were. So here's what he says about the fifth period. He says the fifth age in which he lived and which we still live now, according to his calculations, is a state of trouble, desolation, humiliation, and poverty for the church. We may with just reason call it a state of purification in which the Lord Jesus Christ has sifted his wheat and will sift it again by wars, seditions, famines, epidemics, and other scourges. Now remember, we're talking about the middle 17th century here, middle 1600s. By the tribulation and the poverty which he will suffer to weigh on the Latin church by means of heretics and bad Christians who will take from her the greater part of her bishoprics and countless monasteries, especially the wealthier ones. She is oppressed even by Catholic princes and despoiled by means of taxes, imposts, and other extortions. The church has become poor and miserable because she hath been calumniated by heretics, because her ministers are despised by bad Christians. Heaven knows, you look at the clergy today, right? And all of the accusations against them. I'm not accusing all of them, but so many are held up as to ridicule, to ridicule the church. Who render her neither honor nor respect. By all these means, God will sift his wheat. He will cast the chaff away to be burnt and will gather the wheat into his barns. He continues, the fifth state of the church is the state of tribulation, the state of apostasy, full of miseries of every kind. Few will be spared by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. We shall see kingdom rise against kingdom. Empires will be divided in themselves and brought to desolation. Principalities and monarchies will be overturned, and almost the whole world will sink into poverty. The greatest desolation will reign over the earth. 
I mean, we, we are reminded of our words, the words of Our Lady at Fatima in 1917, by these words of Venerable Holzhauser, this priest speaking about the year 1650, right? All this has been, in part, already accomplished. A part remains yet to be accomplished. These things will come to pass by the very just judgment of God, because of the accumulated mass of our iniquities, whereof our fathers and ourselves have filled up the measure at the moment when the mercy of God awaiteth our doing penance. Uh, he even likens, um, it says here, the fifth period of tribulation to the fifth day of creation, when God created all of the things creeping on the face of the earth, as though we're going to revert to that fifth day of creation. Um, and they will, human beings will give themselves up to license, sink to the level of brutes, and wallow in lust. That's his, his description. I think it applies. It certainly applies today. In this lamentable state, he says, of the church, divine and human laws are without force and made light account. The doctrines and precepts of the church are despised. Ecclesiastical discipline is not observed by the priests, nor political order maintained by the people. Everyone, like the beasts of the field, believes what he pleases and does what he wills. He goes on then to talk about the times of infiltration of the church, when the enemies of the church have seized power within her and are doing their best or their worst to attack her from every side. And uh, Reverend Holzhauser, Venerable, the Reverend Venerable Holzhauser, uh, says that this fifth age will actually be brought to a termination by the rise of a great leader, a world, a secular leader, and also by a very holy pope. How this will happen, he doesn't explain necessarily. Um, and that will usher in the sixth age, and the sixth age will be a, an age of glory. Will it be the, uh, the, the thousand years uh, millenarianists? No. But what it means is that the church will reign, and Christ will reign through the church. They'll call it the reign of Mary, because the Blessed Mother's fidelity will actually be the order of the day in the church itself. And the Catholics on earth will very much have the humility and the fidelity of Our Lady, very much the spirit of our Blessed Mother here on earth. That would make it almost like, you know, relatively paradise, really, right? And so Christ will reign in his church gloriously and triumphantly for this period of time. Be, and before, this is before the coming of the apostasy, finally. The apostasy, according to this, will come after that triumphal reign of Christ. And the Antichrist will come after that when our Lord himself will come to uh, put an end to time, vanquish the Antichrist, of course. And... Uh, the world will be transformed. The world as we know it will be destroyed. The world will be transformed. So uh, it, with the Venerable Holzhauser has a lot to say. It's very interesting what he has to write here. Um, has the church approved what he said? I don't know. Has the church condemned what he said? No. <laughs> so, you know, it's not as though anything he has written here that I know of has been reproved by the church or, you know, marked as, as wrong yeah. and untenable. So his writings the best of my knowledge, remain uh, very much accessible and uh, uh, can be read by Catholics uh, for whatever value we might put in the human side of them. We, we can't necessarily, you know, consider them to be divine revelation as we would in sacred scripture. But uh, then again, you know, one can argue the points based upon the various opinions that are given with, by the exegetes of the Bible. But uh, I, I, as far as I know, there's no church voice that is definitively uh, or even, even temporarily suspended. Um, uh, you know, the, the writings of uh, Venerable Holzhauser and, and kept them from the Catholic people. So I think it's worth reading. I do. We've read um, uh, Father Kramer's The Book of Destiny, right? 
We read uh, things that are given by uh, Cornelius Alapide in the interpretation of the uh, Book of the Apocalypse, and it would seem that the Reverend Holtzhauser's writings are worthy of attention, too. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that actually addresses the question that our writer gave us or not. I can take a second look at that question and maybe uh, get some further information for next time. Sure, sure. Okay, we'll do that. Okay. We, we, we can agree to that now, right? So okay. We'll do that. Yeah. Okay, but uh, anyway, one thing's for certain, Tom. We are, we are living in, in, in perilous times, you're right? And, um, but there's also a time of great grace. <clears throat> I know St. Louis de Montfort said that the saints of the last days will, uh, in comparison with the saints of the earliest days of the church, will be like cedars of Lebanon compared to the shrubs. Now you think about the great saints of the earliest days of the church, and to think that anyone could be so much holier than they, that they would look like shrubs compared to, you know, great trees. Um, but it makes sense in a way that <clears throat> in order to remain faithful to our Lord in the last days, in the days of struggle, requires so much love, requires such pure love for God, that yes, saints will have to love him that much in order to love him at all during those difficult times. So it's not that far-fetched, really. The point being that there are great graces giving during this time, too. There are great graces, and there's a call to greatness in faith and hope and charity that God is addressing to us today. And we have to open our hearts to receive the graces that he sends with that calling, just as Our Lady did. Okay. Well, Father, thank you tonight. Appreciate all of your, all of your time there. And uh, do it again next week. Okay. Tom. Yep. Counting on it. All right. God bless, God bless you, you all. Yep. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.